place in the world for the angry young man. My fellow Americans, I want to speak to you tonight about the troubling events of the past week. As I have said, the incursion of the U.S. Capitol struck at the very heart of our republic. It angered and appalled millions of Americans across the political spectrum. I want to be very clear. I unequivocally condemn the violence that we saw last week. Violence and vandalism have absolutely no place in our country and no place in our movement. Making America great again has always been about defending the rule of law, supporting the men and women of law enforcement, and upholding our nation's most sacred traditions and values. When I decided to name a podcast The Trump Mafia, my focus and vision was to delve into the criminal investigations that were swirling around Trump, his family, and associates. I also wanted to really understand what happened as it relates to the information that exists that connects our president to the actual Russian mafia and Russian intelligence, which I plan on doing more in depth as we move forward. But like I said to my fellow producer this week, we can't ignore history right in front of our faces. And as of January of 2021, the Trump Mafia, for me, has taken on even more significance. Trump Mafia is a synonym for his base of supporters who are white supremacists, QAnon dreamers, Confederate flag obsessives, and to be honest, far-right extremist groups who harbor violent tendencies. If I'm being honest with myself, I harbor the same anger as it relates to the United States government. That anger is an equal opportunity mechanism where I believe both the Democrats and the Republicans as a collective whole have failed our country. Their selfish career advancement and bullshit kabuki theater might have run its course. But one thing that boggles the mind is how has this groundswell of people put their anger and faith in the man that is Donald Trump. What is it about him that emboldens close to 70 million people to vote for him and become sacrificial lambs in what is political chicanery? News alert now. We are just getting a new image of the Capitol Police officer tragically killed this week. U.S. Capitol Police have identified the officer as Brian Sicknick, a 12-year veteran of the force. The department released a statement saying Sicknick was hurt while, quote, physically engaging with protesters. Officer Sicknick is the fifth person to die in Wednesday's violence. Fox News is hearing that a federal investigation into his death will be announced later today as we await more details on that Hundreds honored the fallen Capitol Police officer with a moment of silence, uh, trace, trace in which is just a tragic, tragic outcome of Wednesday's violence. From the madness of the government to the vengeance. In the aftermath, I've been haunted by two videos that I've watched that took place at the Capitol. This video is the beating of police officer Brian Sicknick. This video is disturbing on so many levels. But as it relates to the events of January 6th, it will become a defining moment, I think, for our country. 
Let's put everything else aside a moment and ask a few questions here of the Republican Party. How, after watching this video, as a human being, do you default to standing on the floor of the House and the Senate and arguing against impeaching this president? How do you do anything but hat in hand a full apology to his family and the families of other people who lost their lives that day? Yet, you stand in political ceremony and argue yet again to defend this shell of a man we call Donald Trump. In seven days, there will be a peaceful transfer of power, just like there has been every other time in our country. But Democrats are going to impeach President Trump again. This doesn't unite the country. There's no way this helps the nation deal with the tragic and terrible events of last week that we all condemn. And Republicans have been consistent. We've condemned all the violence all the time. We condemned it last summer. We condemned it last week. We should be focused on bringing the nation together. Instead, Democrats are going to impeach the president for a second time, one week, one week before he leaves office. Why? Why? Politics and the fact that they want to, they want to cancel the president. And now it's impeachment round two. It's always been about getting the president no matter what. It's an obsession an obsession that has now broadened. It's not just about impeachment anymore, it's about canceling, as I've said. Canceling the president and anyone that disagrees with them. It needs to stop because if it continues, if it continues, it won't just be Republicans who get canceled. It won't just be the president of the United States. The cancel culture will come for us all. America is a great country, the greatest country ever. It seems to me that we, we need to think about how great the people of this nation really are. Think about what we, we've accomplished in the past and, and begin to come together as leaders. Don't get any of my words twisted here. And I'll go on the record with my frustration with our leaders in Washington, D.C. But this man, Representative Jim Jordan from Ohio, is despicable. And there's a special place in hell reserved for his cowardice and sheer disregard for anything that relates to having a moral compass. The question is why? Why do you still defend this president? Why do you in one breath say that you condemn violence in all forms and yet not set the blame of the events that happened the feet of the leader of your party. The moral turpitude of these members of the Republican Party is the most disgusting display of politics that I've witnessed in my lifetime. We are lost as a country, and we are in serious trouble if we continue to elect officials who, above all else, allow their egos and blind ambition to guide the American public. Listen, joining us now is the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, Jonathan Greenblatt, who wrote an op-ed in Time magazine entitled, White Supremacism is a Domestic Terror Threat 
that will outlast Trump. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. Now, in your op-ed, you write, while the attack was shocking, it was not surprising. In the five years since Donald Trump descended the escalator at Trump Tower, uh, we have seen an unprecedented and abnormal rise of violent right-wing extremism in the U.S. and beyond. Uh, the president is leaving office in 13 days, meaning that he's going to lose that bully pulpit. If it's his words that help inflame this situation, why do you think that this threat won't just go away when he does? Well, white supremacy existed before Donald Trump, and it will continue after Donald Trump leaves office in two weeks. I think the challenge we have is that he has so amplified this issue. He has literally given free reign to these individuals and emboldened extremists across the board, white supremacists, anti-government activists, Boogaloo enthusiasts, QAnon, conspiratorial theorists. All of them he has encouraged he egged them on at the steps of the Capitol yesterday to the point where they literally stormed the seat of our democracy. What's worrisome is that we're already seeing chatter tonight about how white supremacists and extremists want to disrupt the inauguration in two weeks. The other video from that day that I watched over and over in a video I have not seen covered in the mainstream media is a single-file line of men dressed in full tactical gear from head to toe. Through the unruly crowd, they push their way in a coordinated fashion to the doors of the Capitol. This video exhibited to me that inside this unruly riot, there was groups that were precise in their mission and organized. The people I watched were members of a far-right group called the Oath Keepers. Here's journalist Mike Giglio, who spent years looking into the group from a clip I found on NPR. It's from years ago. You spoke to many current and former members of the Oath Keepers. Are they preparing in case there is a civil war, or do they want to start a civil war? It's more the former. So they believe that there is a very strong likelihood of civil violence in America. And, you know, they, they've been prepping for this in their minds, in some cases, uh, since the group started in 2009. Um, and all the events of the Trump presidency and of the last year, uh, for a lot of them, have, have made them feel like it's more likely that there's going to be some form of conflict. Um, all of them said that they don't want it to happen, but they're at the point where they feel like they might not have a choice. And so so preparations is really the kind of embracing with the dominant mood of, of these people when I spoke to them. Who do they think is going to start the civil war? In their view, uh, the political left, um, Antifa, uh, leftist agitators, um, if you speak with some of them, they have a very dire view that, that says that maybe it already started um, on, a, on, a, on a smaller scale. So they are, they are casting themselves as defensive even as they use this very aggressive rhetoric. So for some, the storming of the Capitol looked like chaos. For others, maybe it was a dry run for something more sinister, something that pales in comparison to what we witnessed. You know, they really listened to the way that President Trump portrays these events. So so if you listen to Trump's own comments, it's, it's you know, he's portraying the governor of Michigan, for example, as almost tyrannical. He's 
portraying the protesters as leftist insurrectionists who were bent on looting and destruction. It really feeds into their into their worldview. And so that's why over the course of the year that I was talking to them, they, they became more and more convinced that, that these events were actually playing out. It's interesting that they're so pro-Trump in the sense that you think of the far-right militant groups as being anti-government. But this group is so pro-Trump and he's the president. It's actually an important point. This is the first time that militant groups like this have had someone in the White House that they fully support. They were they were really skeptical of the first George Bush administration, for example, and even George H.W. Bush. Um, not as much as they've been skeptical of Democrats, but but they, they really never felt like they had an ally in, in the White House. And, and from the beginning of Trump's presidential campaign in 2015, they were almost fully on board. And, you know, he speaks their language. And, you know, they they are very passionately Trump supporters. And it, it really is a, a change for, for these groups. And I, I think, you know, what I detected is that they, they still haven't quite figured out how to square what they used to say about the power of the government and being a check on that with the fact that they're just, you know, full-fledged behind the president right now. Um, and, and I think that's a big contradiction. He's a serious master. Shake his hand and he'll twist your arm. If you look at the events of the Capitol, this is the season finale of a very well-thought-out narrative. And that is where you have to be astounded at what political leaders are now saying in the mainstream media. It's as if everyone in politics have collectively lost their short-term memory. Again, you have to ask the question, even now, at the 11th hour, Trump's stormtroopers still have his back. To watch CNN or Fox News is to believe that the party is running from him. But I think that's quite the opposite. The only explanation, again, is these cowards only care about being reelected. They only care about keeping that seat in government at the sacrifice of their morals, principles, and common sense. The, the Oath Keepers are unique, and this is the reason that I decided to focus on them, in that they expressly recruit and focus on people with military and police experience. Um, they, that's how they build themselves. And I, I think what their founder has been very successful at, at doing is, is tying the idea that there's this sort of movement on the political left that is anti-police, anti-military, and, and making this into an idea that what this militant movement is is actually uh, some version of patriotic. And, and it's a place for Trump supporters and gun rights advocates and military and police professionals and, and the people who very wholeheartedly support, support them. He, he calls it the warrior class. And this, this has sort of been a, a dream for him uh, to try to channel that into some sort of political force. Um, and he told me, even in February of this year, uh, the first time I spoke with him, that, that he was using um, the, what he called a drumbeat of uh, police demonization on the left to, to help his, uh, his efforts at outreach to these communities. And as the year progressed, um, you know, I saw him taking that and really trying to hammer it home. Any 
anyone that has watched the news knows that these protesters had no respect for law enforcement. The schizophrenic stance of all of this leaves your brain hurting. The party of Blue Lives Matter beat a fucking cop to death. Full stop, no doubts. You can't have this dichotomy and stand on any principles. But I guess, sadly enough, the premonitions of Donald Trump came true in many ways. What else they say about my people? The polls. They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. <laughs> no, they say, Trump, we love you too, man. Trump's voters are by far, you know, the, uh, I'm at 68, 69%. I'm at 90% total. Like, will you say absolutely? I think it's 68 or 69%. Will you most likely stay? That gets into the 90s. Other guys are like at 10. A guy like Jeb Bush, he has a nobody, but he's like at, at not, I mean, like they don't have people. They have nothing. Uh, Rubio, soft. They're all, all soft, all soft. My people stay. Uh, by the way, Cruz, soft. Okay. For most of us with sane mind and body, this has been the cycle of this presidency. Moments where you looked at the events swirling around you and the insanity that permeated every level of government. And you thought at various points that Republican leaders would stand up and they do something. But it never has happened. And we watched on video as a cop was killed, beaten to death in front of our eyes. And again, Republican leaders do nothing. And to go further, no one in Washington does anything but a ceremony of politics that makes them feel better, makes them appear as if they care about this country. The Attorney General of the District of Columbia has says that, uh, said that he is looking into whether or not the president violated D.C. law, D.C. code, in inciting a riot. That's an open investigation, according to the D.C. Attorney General. I want to talk about your book, um, because at the end of it, the epilogue, I don't want to give away the ending, but I think you'll forgive me. You say that given everything that's happened, you don't think the president should be prosecuted. Has your opinion changed in light of what happened on Wednesday? And can you explain your thinking? Yeah, it was a hard question when I was writing that back in the fall. It's even harder now. The president needs to be sanctioned for his behavior and held accountable. I think it's important that he be impeached. I think it's important that local prosecutors in New York continue to pursue the garden variety frauds he surely committed before he became president. I just don't think it's in the national interest for Donald Trump to be on our television screens every day for the next three or four years as part of United States versus Donald Trump in the District of Columbia. I don't think that helps Joe Biden heal a nation. I don't think it helps us coax the millions of Americans who have been defrauded, who are caught in that fog of lies. I don't think it helps us move them back into a healthy place. 
And so it's a hard, painful decision, but I still think it would be better for this country if we move past a fallen and corrupt president and turned off the television lights on him, which in some ways would be the greatest punishment he could imagine. A gun my age went off ahead Hit some tiny children And if a black guy hadn't pulled her off I swear she would have killed them A soldier with a broken arm Fixed his stand to the This soundbite by former FBI head James Comey really sums up the core debate in political circles. And mind you, I don't want to come off combative, but Comey's analysis and insight is sophomoric at best and once again underestimates the power and influence that Donald Trump has. My argument, the only way you will keep Donald Trump off our TV screens for 2021 or 2022 or for the next five years for that matter, is to swiftly put him in jail on anything and everything you can charge him with. Comey states, if we do this, it will give Don Trump more screen time. That ship has sailed, Jimmy. And we would collectively be naive yet again to think Trump is going away unless we put him under the jail. I hear this terminology healing as a country and I want to be a pessimist but Joe Biden is not going to heal this country this country right now as we speak is broken as a result of our systems of government being rotten and corrupted at its core the media has created a messiah a strong man and the only thing a strong man understands is force is brute power James Comey as the former head of the FBI, I would think would be sophisticated enough to understand this, but he doesn't. And to go further, this guy decides to print this point of view in his new book should take a fucking walk. Trumpism is a cultural problem, Hari, okay? And, and that culture is defiant of not only reality, but of tradition and of morality. It's a fundamentally unconservative uh, culture. They are not believers in limited government to the rule of law or the constitution. They believe in Trump. And if he says something or does something, that's what they believe. If Donald Trump tomorrow said, I'm in favor of child sacrifice, they would say, well, we gotta reconsider child sacrifice because that is the power he has over them. It is, it is it is the most, it is the most uh, astounding diversion from what American politicians have traditionally been. They have traditionally, even powerful, charismatic American politicians, have traditionally still been a in response to people. These are people in response to a leader. This is, you know, he is a perfect authoritarian um, figure uh, in the in terms of the charisma, the control, the almost religious devotion to him. How much does the death of Officer Brian um, Sicknicorn, I apologize if I'm saying his name wrong, how much does that change this equation? Well, as you saw immediately on the night it was announced that he had passed, you know, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley were suddenly appalled and shaken and, oh, it was terrible. Um, Actions have consequences. Their actions 
have consequences. So Marsha Blackburn and Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and Ron Johnson, they have blood on their hands in this. They were encouraging these people. Ted Cruz over the weekend was out doing a speech on the hood of a car, screaming and waving his fist around, we'll fight back, we'll fight to the last man, etc. Rudy Giuliani's out there saying, let's have trial by combat. <clears throat> well, the death of a, of, a, of a Capitol Police officer who, I, I don't mean to be grisly about this, was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher at the hands of a mob motivated by Donald Trump and his Senate and House allies. They should have a moral responsibility and culpability for this. They, I pray, some in some capacity, the family of this officer is going to pursue their legal remedies against the people that encouraged and caused this. And it's it's not just the guy that 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 beat him to death. It's the people that that pushed him to do that. It's the people that motivated him to do that. I promise you, this, whoever beat him to death is a frequent Fox viewer and is in a million Facebook groups telling him that everyone's out to get him and that the world is a the world is a dark place and Antifa is everywhere and conspiracies are real and and you know five people died in this in this on this day and it is, it is it, I mean the tragedy of it is enhanced by the by the by the place it took it occurred and the tragedy of it is enhanced by by the fact that that the rhetoric of the people who supposedly serve the american populace rev those people up into a fever pitch in the waning days of the trump presidency my hope is that i can continue my mission of unpacking the sordid connections of the trump reign as it relates to criminality and not politics. One has to wonder, does he have one last crazy salvo up his sleeve? Or for now, will he go away quietly without another seismic event that throws the country into chaos? Madam Chair, I think we need to remark how far this president has lowered our country. First, they destroy the norms and the values of society, things that we'd always taken for granted. You don't mock people with disabilities. Men don't mock women's bodies on television. You don't ridicule people and give them obnoxious nicknames, at least after you graduate from the third grade. You don't falsely accuse other political leaders of treason. You don't accuse other political leaders' parents of assassinating President Kennedy. You don't use disgusting, profane language to disparage other countries, and you don't call neo-Nazis and Klansmen very fine people. You don't give aid and comfort to the dictators of the world, like Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin, by flattering them and being their sycophants. But then you destroy the norms and the values of your office. You call the press the enemy of the people. You call true facts fake news, and you call fake news true facts. You vilify and you demonize the hardworking employees of the Department of Justice and the FBI. You accuse them of being part of a fantasy deep state conspiracy just for doing their jobs. You falsely claim that millions of people voted illegally while you deny and dismiss 
the finding of special counsel Mueller that there was a sweeping and systematic campaign to disrupt our elections in 2016. You refuse to divest yourself of your business interests or to put them in a blind trust as other presidents have done. You travel to your own business properties and hotels on government expense. You double initiation fees to Mar-a-Lago. You turn the government of the United States into a money-making operation for your family, for your business, and for yourself. And then you violate and undermine the laws of the United States. You sabotage the Affordable Care Act to try to deny millions of people access to their health care. You separate children from their parents at the border. You pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement, making our country an international environmental pariah and outlaw state. You lie about what science has shown about climate change. You call it a Chinese hoax. You collect millions of dollars from foreign princes and kings and governments in violation of Article 1, Section 9, Clause 8 of the Constitution. And now the president, aided and abetted by the attorney general, tears at the very fabric of our Constitution. He orders that a curtain be pulled down over the executive branch. He says there will be no cooperation with the lawful demands of Congress for information. Congress shouldn't be looking anymore, the President King declares. This is all. It's done. No tax returns. No Mueller report. No witnesses. Not Don McGahn. Not John Gore. The President declares himself above and beyond the law. James Madison said, knowledge will forever govern ignorance. And those who mean to be their own governors must arm themselves with the power that knowledge gives. The people through the Constitution gave us that power. We must exercise it. If you act with contempt for the people and Congress, we will find you in contempt of the people and of Congress. And I support the resolution. I yield back, Mr. Chairman.